0: Hello and welcome in once again to the Ducks Rising podcast with Doug Scott and QB11 Andrew. Good evening. Good evening, Doug. How are you doing tonight? I am good. Are you Team Rhaenyra or Team Alicent?
1: Oh yeah, I'm with the Blacks. Give me give me the uh, the actual Targaryens.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm Team Rhaenyra as well. So, uh, but you know, we'll see how
1: it all plays out. Oh no, I, I know how it plays out. I read the book. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> 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 That's no so fun
0: um, A yeah, couple of quick announcements over at DucksRising.com Check that out There, There's going to be a live video chat With four Oregon offensive linemen Next week, next Thursday On the 28th, I believe that is So if you are not a member of DucksRising.com You want to get over there Make sure you join DucksRising.com So you can participate in that live chat Uh, As well, uh, anyone who joins before kickoff uh, of the Washington State game will be entered into a drawing to win a signed Justin Flo football. Uh, So there's some more incentive as well. And I think Ducks Rising will be giving out uh, footballs and and other autographed items like once a week over the next eight weeks. So uh, the sooner you join, the sooner you get entered every week to win one of those items as well. So, again, DucksRising.com. And your membership... um, your membership fees all go to support NIL deals for Oregon athletes. Uh, Oregon has, or Ducks Rising has now signed eight separate NIL contracts with football players and executed all of those. So the four videos and as well as this, uh, these four players on this, um, on this video chat next week. So definitely appreciate all the support over there. All right, let's jump into content. So it's preview, preview episode. We'll be previewing the Washington State, Oregon game this Saturday in Pullman, one PM kickoff on Fox. Uh, before we get into that, we thought we'd introduce something. Now we're a third of, or a quarter of the way through the football season. Three games in, nine to go. We thought we'd uh, start doing some power rankings among the Pac-12 teams this year, or every this year, um, every week. So we'll start off this week. Number 12, I have Colorado as my number 12 team in the Pac-12 uh, QB. Uh, are you any different there?
1: Yeah, no, I actually, like, it's bolted, italicized, locked in. They're not moving. They're not winning a game this year. It's. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the players on the team. I don't feel bad for the coaching staff because this has been pretty self-inflicted in the athletic department just kind of shooting themselves in the foot. But um feel really bad for the players. They're, they're actually playing with good effort still. But they just they just don't have enough firepower to really compete at this level.
0: Yeah, and I also feel bad for their fan base. I think it, there's a lot of tradition over there and a lot of history, and and they deserve better than what they're getting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we should have like Scott Frost come back and have a Nebraska Colorado game at the end of the season as like a impromptu oh, bowl game.
0: I love it. I love it. The Scott Frost Invitational. Um, yeah, all right.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> moving on to number 11 um i think this one there may be some variants here but i you know i think after the events of this past weekend arizona state falls into the number 11 spot you know I probably last week i would have had them at seven or something so they they take a hard fall down to a number 11 for me this week
1: yeah if your coach is getting fired on the field before he even makes it to the locker room um the only way that you're not in last place is if a team is going winless. So, yeah, I got I have ASU at 11 as well. Um, rest in peace Herm Edwards. It's been a good run, not really, but uh really excited to see kind of where Arizona State decides to go with this next hire.
0: I'll let you go next on number 10 then.
1: Yeah, so I have Cal. Um, I know that they were pretty competitive with Notre Dame, but I think Notre Dame is bad too. Um, and so this Bill Musgrave offense is just impossible to watch. I I this is almost—it's distasteful towards the sport of football, the product that Cal puts on the field offensively. So, um, yeah, I've got Cal at eleven. Um, what do you got, Doug?
0: Yeah, we need to snip out that first of all. Distasteful to the sport of football—that's a keeper. I need to remember that line. I—I um, I, I expect we're pretty close on these two. I have Stanford, uh, probably a coin flip, but and maybe some of my bias against Stanford is showing here. But uh, I think Cal—I give them a little, maybe a little more credit for at least what they're doing on defense and. I just think Stanford's just not a very good football team, so I got them at number
1: 10. See, I, I have Stanford at uh, number 9, and the reason is because offensively they actually have some players, and David Shaw ripped off week like long mesh gimmick, and so I will at least give them points for attempting the offense, and I, I think that their offense, we'll see how it, how it fares as it plays against some teams that have a pulse defensively, cough, cough, USC, it's not you, um, and so... Yeah, I I think Stanford's got a chance to win some games. I think if if Stanford and Cal were to meet on a neutral field tomorrow, I'd probably favor Stanford. So I've got Stanford slightly above them. The defense for Stanford, specifically the front seven, is a total mess. Um, I have a feeling that they're going to lose pretty bad to Washington this week, but we'll get into our picks later on. Um, Coming in at number eight, I've got Arizona. Who do you have?
0: also have arizona but i do see this as a team that potentially could move up i, I think their ceiling is probably you know six or seven on this list throughout the course of the season but i think they could move up uh, a couple more slots still
1: yeah i think that they're pretty firmly in this next tier of programs um i i, I like them i think they're a more complete team than stanford uh i i like that, that win last weekend against north dakota state like i understand it's a home game against an fcs opponent but North Dakota State is not built like an FCS program. And, and I think that was an impressive win. And um, the firepower that they possess on the outside is enough to challenge some teams. And if they get hot and you turn the ball over, um, you can absolutely lose to them. So, yeah, I think I think that's a good spot for Arizona.
0: Yeah, so moving into number seven, I think this next tier of teams, this kind of middle tier of teams, is going to have a lot of volatility as we do this over the course of the season. This is a team that I would have had several slots higher a week ago, but right now in the number seven slot for me is UCLA.
1: Yeah, so I have Oregon State here, um, but I I could totally understand after the the game with South Alabama. I'm actually going to give South Alabama a little bit of credit here because um defensively they're very good they've got a ton like that whole program is basically a former sec transfer so that like that is not a team uh devoid of talent and ability and i think they're pretty well coached uh I, I didn't expect i i don't think that um ucla is as bad as they looked in that game and i actually think that south alabama might be better defensively than more than half of the pack 12 so uh i i went ahead and went with oregon state here i've they were kind of getting driven up and down the field a little bit by, by Montana State. Uh, Oregon State, offensively, I don't trust Chance Nolan. Of all the teams that I have in the, in the top of the Pac-12, um, I, I think they have the worst quarterback of, the, of those players. So uh, DTR versus Chance Nolan, I took DTR, in which case I have, I have them ranked higher. Yeah, that's a you know, that's a
0: very compelling argument. I think one of the things to I didn't mention up front that I should have was, you know, really this power rankings is meant to be, you know, a, a state of at present, right? This is not a prediction on how we think the, the standings will look at the end of the year. It's it's what we've seen so far. The trends that are happening right now amongst the games that we're seeing, where where are these teams ranked as of the moment? And, and there's designed to be volatility week to week to week. I mean, you can move a team up or down four spots next week based on what we see on the field this weekend. So just just a little bit of uh, context there.
1: Who you got at number six? Uh, I, I have UCLA. I would just, um, I, as, as we just talked about, I had OSU at seven. Um, who do you have at six?
0: I've got the Cougars. Um, I think this middle grouping again is very tightly packed. Um, I think I'm giving Oregon state a little, they're, they're my next teams. So I'll tease it. My number five is Oregon state. Uh, I'm giving them a little bit more credit over their two victories over Boise and Fresno. Uh, obviously Washington state's win at camp Randall was, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about the Cougars today. Obviously it was, was a, a great win, but I think there's some, some things there. And then looking in their other performances that are a little, a little more concerning to me, I think Oregon state has just been a more complete team so far. So I got Washington state at six, Oregon state at five.
1: Okay. Yeah. I've got Wazoo at five. I think the win at Wisconsin is better than any win on Oregon state or U- UCLA's resume, um, going on the road in camp Randall regardless of how not great this Wisconsin team is, maybe relative to teams of the past, uh, it is still, it's still a big-time win in a big-time spot. And so um, giving credit to the Cougs there for, for going on the road and beating Wisconsin, I've got them in the five slot. All right, at number four, I've got the
0: Washington Huskies. Uh, again, this is the team I, I might have had down a couple more slots, You know, maybe below the... Oregon state and Washington state, you know, a week ago, but you know, that impressive home victory over Michigan state dominating passing attack, uh, they're in the number four spot. And, and, uh, on my list, I, I at the beginning of the season, I thought, you know, this is a three team race for, for the PAC 12 and, you know, UW, you know, maybe is inserting themselves into that conversation as a potential fourth team competing for that, a spot in that title game.
1: Absolutely. I, I have Washington in the same slot. Um, great win at home against against Michigan State. Um, I, I think that both Oregon and Washington getting wins like they did a week ago is great for the conference. Although I do think that both teams that they beat were severely overvalued by the eight people um, relative to their genuine quality. So yeah, I got Washington here at four. I love the passing game. I think Michael Penix is probably playing as good or better than any quarterback in the league right now, um, especially considering that he is being entrusted to really drive that offense whereas uh players like i think bo nix at oregon for example uh he's being he's managing the offense he's making plays with his arm and his legs he is not solely responsible for the vast majority of the production um whereas penix is really producing like 80 or 85 percent of their offensive yardage so um he's playing really really well love the receiver room We'll see how that defense looks as they kind of get it deeper into play and we get we get a bigger sample size, yeah, absolutely so now getting into this
0: top three and again I, I think we all obviously know the three teams left are u s c Oregon and Utah, and, and I'm wondering where we're gonna land on this one and and it's this is one I could see I could see flip flopping all three of these teams around over the coming weeks depending on the week to week results but uh for me, I got Utah in the number three spot I think that that loss to Florida is it, you know, looked like a decent loss at the time and, and maybe it still will be at the end of the year, but I think what we've seen from Florida since then, you know, kind of takes a little bit of, of luster off that loss, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at all the post game analytics, they really should have won that game. Um a late turnover obviously really killed their chances. Uh I I give them a little bit of a pass for that game. I, I've got Oregon at three. Uh, I think that the Georgia loss, despite the fact that it's the best team in the country, the, the manner in which it occurred um, is enough for me to have them below uh, Utah, uh, where I have Utah in the two slot.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, again, I think I think these teams are are pretty closely um, compared right now, and and again, we'll see what happens over the next several games, and and we'll get to shift it around. Uh, so obviously, I have Oregon at number two. And that puts the Trojans at number one. Uh, I think for both of us, I think USC is just, um, yeah. You know, again, they they haven't faced, you know, uh, significant competition yet. I think you know the game at Corvallis this week against a plucky Beavers team. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say they're going to be tested. I, I think their their passing attack is just going to be too much for the Beavers to overcome, or uh, you know. But I think on the other side of the ball, you know, the Beaver team might be might be something that can stress USC a little bit in some ways as well. Maybe slow the game down, maybe try to try to make it, uh, you know, a a lower possession game and, and sneak out some things. So I don't think we're going to know for sure what USC is, you know, defensively, you know, in this game, but we might learn a few things, but they're number one for me right now.
1: Yeah. I've got USC at number one too. I think I know this to be fact at the moment. Uh, obviously it's a projection, but I think that the USC offense is probably the best overall unit. um, either offense or defense in the conference. And I, I think it's the unit I trust the most. Just given the offensive skill talent they brought in, um, the quarterback play, like Caleb Williams is certainly in command of that offense. He's taken the jump that you would hope he would take between year one and year two. Uh, I, I don't trust their defense, but they have enough players that they've been opportunistic and they've they've created a lot of turnovers. Um, I feel dirty even saying the word created. I feel like there's a massive luck element to a vast majority of these turnovers, but. Um to this point, like they've been able to make plays defensively and and get the ball back to their offense. And if they're if they can continue to turn the ball over with an offense that's clicking like theirs is, um, I think they're gonna be number one here until I until I see something that makes me maybe think that they're a little bit more mortal on defense.
0: Fair enough. So that's our power rankings through three weeks. So we'll do it again uh next week as well. So I think let's move on and, and talk about the the matchup this weekend in Pullman. Uh, against the Washington State Cougars, so Oregon will be traveling there, playing at 1 p.m. again on Fox. Washington State's three and zero on the season, of course. Um, they they opened up their season at home against Idaho in a narrow 24 to 17 victory. Really a game that that they didn't play particularly well in, uh, and then of course the the week two win at Wisconsin and a really a game in which, like you look at the the stat sheet and. Uh, Wisconsin twenty-two first downs to ten for Washington State yardage four hundred one to two fifty-three in favor of Washington or in favor of Wisconsin. Uh, you know Washington State ran the ball for two point four <laughs> yards per carry. Uh, you know it just like possession thirty-eight to twenty-two. Uh, it, it, it's it's a game that like you look at it and you're like Wisconsin won this game by ten points, but they didn't. <laughs> so uh, you know c- credit to the Cougars for being op- opportunistic and winning that game. Uh, you know on the road and that's a great win. And then of course they they came home this again this last weekend and beat up a Colorado State team 38 to 7 which was really the the first game of the season where Cameron Ward really had a good game. I they had two two poor to to mediocre games to start the year and then, you know, 299 yards and four touchdowns against, you know, a not very good Colorado State team, of course. So QB why don't you start with their offense a little bit tell me tell me about what you're seeing from Cameron Ward and that Cougar offense that might uh give the Ducks some some concerns or some challenges this weekend
1: yeah so I think coming into the season we we were looking at at Cameron Ward and in the offense and uh because he's not the only transfer coming in from incarnate Ward, and obviously the offensive coordinator was also transplanted. it was kind of like one of those like import a offense from the fcs level deals almost like what western kentucky did last year with uh, zappy and the coordinator that is now currently at texas tech and i I had pretty high expectations for that he was super productive at that at the fcs level but it hasn't really translated quite yet to, to the power five level and maybe the light bulb comes off this week but on the available tape specifically looking at that uh one power five game that they played against against wisconsin Ward was very pedestrian, and I think that's actually a pretty good way to describe his performance all year. There was some broken coverages and some stuff that they got against Colorado State, but I've noticed that Ward is not particularly comfortable um, going through his progressions right now. He's really getting stuck on his number one target. Uh, I don't know if it's a matter of confidence, not being able to see because he's a smaller guy in stature, um, not trusting the speed of the game because he's he's turned the ball over on the few times that he has attempted to throw the ball over the middle. Uh, but he's really only throwing out to the sidelines in the quick game. He's really not pressing the ball vertically over the middle. There's been a lot of opportunities to, to hit the tight ends that were missed both in the Wisconsin and Idaho games. Um, I, I have not been incredibly impressed with Cameron Ward in this passing game to this point. Uh, the offensive line has played well. They've given up quite a bit of sacks uh, and pressures. Ward can bail them out of some of that stuff, given his athletic talent, uh, his ability to escape the pocket and, and pick up some garbage on the ground. Uh, Nikhil Watson is a Wisconsin transfer at running back. He's the primary back. Good good back, good solid all around the back, good catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, they, they like to do a lot, of, a, a lot of gap schemes. I wouldn't call this an air raid offense. I know it's been categorized as such. Um, I, when I watch their film, it's not particularly air raidy. They carry a few air raid concepts in the passing game, but it's not like Washington state of five years ago under Mike Leach, where they're just, they're throwing the ball every play. They're only running air raid passing concepts and they're like truly believing in that philosophy offensively. Um, now they're more balanced. They're running the ball probably about half the time, maybe a little bit more than half they're they're mixing in a lot of screens and control plays i think to help kind of get cameron ward into the flow of the game and and they're they're throwing a lot of true progression passing as well as the air raid stuff that they're doing so uh, i i know it's categorized by a lot as an air raid offense i don't know how how it really fits into that mold um I, i would argue that almost every team in the pac 12 carries just as many air raid passing concepts as, as Washington state does currently.
0: So how, what do you see? What do you see being successful for Oregon or, or what do you see Oregon needing to do to, to be successful on defense against this offense this weekend?
1: Yeah, well I, I'm, I'm looking at this as, and I, and I think Wisconsin kind of laid a good blueprint, like Wisconsin trusted their front, in um, lighter boxes to stop the run and generally they were really successful in doing that um, most of the big plays for Nikhil watson in that wisconsin game uh, came came through the air uh, either via downfield pass to the running back or in the screen game but they were able to use their superior length and size on the interior to stack up the run with with a five-man box because um, they're they play a lot of 11 personnel they play some 12 but their their roster didn't have a single tight end until this season and so there's a lot of converted players from other positions there's a lot of uh freshmen and transfers at the tight end position and so I don't know that they necessarily trust the talent and depth at that spot to play 12 personnel against a team like Oregon cuz that really just allows us to exercise our size t- our size advantage and match them so I think we'll see a lot of 11 personnel uh I'm not there's there's nothing about the offense in its current form that is really all that terrifying to me. This is a team that I, as long as Oregon is disciplined and continues to tackle uh, and leverage the screen game and the perimeter the perimeter quick game well, it uh, can be largely kind of tamped down. I think the the goal here for Oregon would be to put to squeeze the air out of the underneath passing game and put ward in a position where he needs to 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 really throw the ball vertically and take some shots because that's where he's turned the ball over this year
0: all right anything else to say about uh, their offense and and our defense for this game or should we move on to the other side of the ball
1: yeah i mean i think if you're oregon like uh, the the biggest thing that concerns me as a duck fan in this game is not necessarily anything that washington state is bringing to the table offensively it's more the Oregon versus Oregon stuff that Lanning's been talking about from a week-to-week basis, coming off of an emotional win at home against a team that was ranked, um, really kind of executing at a high level and dominating BYU last week, are we as focused going on the road into a really tough environment as, as, we, as we were a week ago? I think that's that's the key here is can we, can we pack up that execution, and that toughness, and bring it on the road? If we can do that, I think that this is an offense that we can really kind of dictate to and control for the most part.
0: Yeah, I've kind of been saying that to people all week. You know, when they've been asked, you know, what scares you about this game this weekend, and and, and my answer has been kind of similar, right? It's it's what is, you know, we've seen Oregon go on the road uh, uh, to Georgia, and we it wasn't a true road game, but but in a lot of in a lot of ways it was, and that didn't turn out so well. And obviously, you know, Washington State's not Georgia, um, but I, I think can Oregon. You know, package their own, bring their own energy to 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 start that game, right? You're not going to have the crowd energy. You're not going to have the home field, the comforts of home to feed off of to get off to a good start, right? And I think that's one of the things you know you see often. Uh, and I'm not calling this a younger team, but with with teams that haven't been together as long, you know, new coaching staffs, new teams, you know, younger teams, you see, you know, learning how to win on the road is a skill, right? And and that means coming out and matching energy, matching intensity from that opening kickoff, and really you know kind of um you know buffeting that initial wave of of energy in the first couple of possessions and then really doing what you need to do and executing what you what you need to do and I think you know the Oregon versus Oregon stuff is spot on. So to me that's my biggest concern about this game as well. Does Oregon show up and with the right kind of effort and intensity and and preparedness to to start this game off strongly or you know is it like 2018 when they you know, game days in Pullman and Oregon coming off of their massive home upset. You know, walk off touchdown run against the Huskies goes to Washington State the next weekend and is down twenty eight nothing. You know, halfway through the second quarter, right? And that's and and then of course that game ended up being really close in the end, but it was over. You know, because you you didn't have the energy and intensity you needed to start that game. So that's what I want to see: is Oregon going to come out ready, or are they going to get blitzed because they don't know how to go on the road?
1: Yeah, because like when I when I look at this matchup, when I watch Washington State specifically up front, like I I do not think if, if we if we put the bo- the numbers in the box that what I would expect us to put, I don't think that they're going to run the ball with any real efficiency on us. And so what that really does is it puts them in a position where they have to be one dimensional. And while Ward has Ward has shown the ability to get out of the pocket and make some things happen with his legs, I think he really would prefer to throw the ball. Um, but but the problem is he's been really slow to keep to get through his reads and to process, and and even when he does get through his reads and process, there's some serious inaccuracy in his game mechanically. Like looking at his mechanics, if I like if I was his quarterback coach, it's kind of a mess. His feet are all over the place. He's a small guy by in stature with a low three quarter delivery, so his release point is super low. Which I think if you're Oregon, and I know it was talked about this week in, in press conferences. Getting your hands into passing lanes as a defensive line, if they're going to try to get the ball out quick, there should be opportunities still for tip balls, just because of how low this ball is being released from a rather small quarterback. Uh, but even when the ball clears the line of scrimmage, like he's been kind of hit or miss, his accuracy, like we've talked about, Bo Nix, and we've really lauded Bo Nix all all season so far on his ability to hit guys in stride, hit him hit him in their cylinder, um, and, and give them opportunities for yards after catch. Like I've seen a lot of balls get bounced, get overthrown, go wide of, of targets for Ward. And a lot of that is because of his mechanics and his throwing motion. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Bell, number six, at wide receiver is by far the most explosive threat uh, for Washington State. He had a couple really big plays against Wisconsin and Colorado State. Um, the first play of the game against, against Wisconsin was like a 40-yard tunnel screen. Like That's somebody that, that Oregon really needs to key on. I think he's the most explosive offensive threat for, for Washington State, and he's somebody that, that really needs to have um, a lot of attention given his way, whether that means that Gonzo is mirroring and following him uh, or, or we're bracketing him. There's a lot of different ways to kind of skin the cat in this sense, but uh, he's someone that, as an Oregon fan and spectator, I will be really evaluating our, our ability to kind of keep him tamped down.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. We we haven't faced, obviously, putting the Georgia game aside, um, you know, BYU certainly, as we talked about, plays a disciplined team, but w- w- especially with Romney and, and Nakua out, they don't really have an explosive playmaker, you know, out there on the edge or, or anywhere on their offense, really. And I think that
1: that will be something to watch this week for sure. So a good call out. Yeah, Bill certainly is that, and I guarantee, because everybody has ever since the Georgia game, they're going to test us early and often on the perimeter, our ability to to get off blocks and disengage. Um, Washington State's ability to block on the the edge has been pretty solid so far this year, so that's a pretty good matchup that'll be fun to watch.
0: I will take note of that and be watching that uh, for sure from my seat. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball, QB. You know, Talk to us a little bit about Washington State's defense. How do they line up? What's their scheme? What's their personnel look like? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses?
1: Yeah, so this is actually the more fun and dynamic unit to talk about with Washington State, which is kind of weird considering over the last decade or so of Mike Leach offenses and um, even – even over the last couple of years of them running the run and shoot, it's been a kind of a one-off unique system to, to track on the offensive side. They haven't always been great defensively. And uh, Jake Dickert obviously came over as the defensive coordinator from Wyoming and then was elevated to head coach. And you could tell his imprint is all over this defense. Um, they're extremely multiple and kind of like they were uh, under, under Alex Grinch. They were more of a speed defense. They don't have the biggest bodies on the interior of the defensive line but they've got a lot of guys with really good short area quickness and they rotate them in a lot and i would say the same thing about their edge group it's not the biggest most uh talented or physically imposing group just from a physical stature size but whether it's between number 80 or number 10 rob stone rob stone um, or or some of the other guys that they rotate in at those positions they're able to keep fresh and come in waves and i think the relentless pursuit that they play the game with, and just the overall activity level of their front is probably the most challenging team uh, part of playing them. In the Mario Cristobal era at Oregon, we we struggled at times to match up uh, and fit on smaller players who were as active uh, as Washington State's front is right now. And so I'm really interested to see from a scheme standpoint what Coach Dillingham and Coach Clem come up with in order to give our offensive line good angles to kind of exercise their size and mass advantage over a smaller defensive front. They play a lot of four down front against Wisconsin. Wisconsin was using a lot of condensed formations with two tight ends. Sometimes they were spreading it out and going 11. But regardless, the, the plan for Washington State was pretty clear in that they were just going to throw bodies at the front in waves to stop the run. They were not going to allow Wisconsin to establish an efficiency run game. And overall, early in that game, it was extremely effective. As the game wore on, uh, Braylon Allen, the running back for Wisconsin, who is just a freak, and that big offensive line wore on them a little bit, and they started to be a little bit more efficient in the run game. But early on, specifically when they were really fresh, um, they were able to create a lot of penetration and create some negative plays in the run game. Wisconsin, uh, I'm I'm a Wisconsin fan, obviously, as well as you know, uh, isn't the most dynamic team in terms of athletic skill talent on the outside, whether at receiver or tight end. Uh, They're kind of the what I would assume the stereotype is for Big Ten West offensive skill talent. They're they're solid. They're nothing to write home to mom about. Uh, But Washington State felt very comfortable leaving their corners on an island against those. Uh, wisconsin receivers and overall they fared extremely well number five is a really long angular corner who i was really impressed with his ability to transition and cover deep Uh, i'm not sure that he's covered anybody to the caliber of athlete that like a troy franklin or a dante thornton will provide but so far in the exposure that i've had to him he stood up to all the tests that have been thrown thrown at him a really good player on the outside at the second level of the defense Number 1, uh, Damian Henley is the inside linebacker. He's a transfer from Nevada. He's a converted wide receiver. He would be awesome in our system. He's just really fast, really fast, super active. His his production so far through the season is off, is off the charts. And I should say that for the entire front seven for Washington State. Their production is fantastic. They have tons of tackles for loss. They've got like 13 or 14 sacks on the season already. The one thing I would caution is is that a scheme like this with the uh, type of mature talents that they have on the edge is going to be really, really good against teams that they're more talented than, the Colorado States, the Idahos. But when they went up against Wisconsin, they only managed one sack and a few tackles for loss. So a lot of that production that we're seeing advertised on social media and in kind of the run-up to this game was not, none of that or very little of that production was manufactured against Wisconsin, which is important to note because this Wisconsin offensive line that they went against is not as good as the Wisconsin offensive lines that we all think of um, from the earlier 2000s even and even up to like 2019 when we played them in the Rose Bowl. The, the Wisconsin offensive line has fallen off pretty substantially, both technically and from a talent standpoint. They made a change at offensive line coach this year to try to fix that, uh, but this early in the season, they're still not executing at a super high clip. So. All, all things to keep in mind, um, but a really active group. I, I think the key here is Washington State has, has was really committing. They were playing a lot of single high defense structures, playing a lot of man-to-man coverage on the outside. I don't think they can do that against Oregon. I think that we're balanced enough offensively. I think that we present enough different looks, versatility, um, ourselves offensively to where that's not going to be something they're going to be able to do where they just – Throw bodies at the run game to stop it. I think that we can punish them uh, if that's the approach that they take.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, and I think you kind of touched on it there. What, what, if you're Kenny Dillingham, you know, how do you look to attack this defense?
1: Well, it's interesting because like last week, we kind of thought that we would spread BYU out and exercise our speed advantage. And what did Kenny Dillingham do? He did that to some extent, but I think that there was a conscientious decision made by Coach Dan Lanning and Coach Kenny Dillingham to. Line up in condensed formations, go big on BYU and out big them. Like beat them at their own game, establish that we're more talented, we're bigger, we're stronger, and that we can beat them into their strength, as opposed to really just kind of throwing the ball out to the outside and um and, and using our speed advantage. It was it was a really interesting matchup last week and kind of has me wondering if we're gonna try to do the same thing here. Like Washington State's a very fast defense, they want to run sideline to sideline. Are, are we going to line up big and try to go at them? Or are we going to are we gonna try to go into lighter personnel groups and squirt the ball to the outside and throw the ball vertically? I, I would tend to think that the best chance for us to be successful offensively is to play more 11 personnel. Because um, I, I think that our receiver group and our ability to run out of a six-man surface, six-man being the five offensive linemen and the tight end, um, against a front that isn't as kind of filled with bodies because again they were overwhelming the gaps just with pure volume of dudes against Wisconsin. I think if we're if we're playing up against a five or six man box that we'll be able to execute against that at a pretty high level in the run game um and force them to bring one of those two high safeties down and then take our shots. Uh I could I could see I think the biggest problem right now with pinning down Oregon's approach offensively to these games is because of the overall versatility and depth of talent at tight end and wide receiver and running back, we can be whatever we want to be, or I say we. Coach Dillingham can make this offense into whatever he wants on a week-to-week basis to best exploit the talents or lack of talents uh, on a defense. I, I think this is going to be a really fun chess match, though, because I think Dickert uh, is going to have some fun stuff for us prepared that- that's unique to just Oregon.
0: Yeah, and I think what you said there about Dillingham and this offense is what what has me so excited about it and why I think the offense is is a little bit ahead of schedule of where I thought it might be is is just how versatile it is and how multidimensional it is and I, like the fact that that a, you know, week to week they can they can be whatever they want to be to to attack the defense in the best way that possible but also that that they're willing to um you know that that Kenny Dillingham and that coaching staff and Dan is willing to say like okay, this week this week we're going to go fourteen personnel, you know, and 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 run and run at somebody. And next week we might spread it out and, and throw, and and we'll we'll see that play out over the course of the season. But I, you know, I it's really hard to see. I think a weakness, you know, at any part of this offense. I mean, I think the offense, every unit is is deep and and is playing really well. Uh, maybe maybe the wide receivers is one area you'd like to see a little more productivity still. And I don't, I don't I'm not saying it's not there. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of opportunities. But also, like you know, we we seem to execute at a high level out of out of almost every personnel grouping uh, we put on the field and every and every uh, formation we we play out of, and and that to me is the strength of the offense, right? Just that amount of versatility is is the strength of the offense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think like the fact that we haven't given up a sack to this point in the season speaks a lot to how well the offensive line's been playing in pass pro. Also speaks to the command of the offense that Nick's has and his ability to get the ball out of his hands quick. Um, and also his own athletic ability. like the, the man coverage that was being played by Washington State against Wisconsin created some running lanes for uh, for Graham Mertz, who's not nearly the athlete that Nix is, and I think that that will kind of disincentivize them playing that style of defense uh, because Knicks can really hurt them with his legs. Um, the other thing for Oregon offensively is because we don't – like in years past, we've had a very clear identity, whether it was – 2019 or last year where it was like we're gonna run the ball we're really good at running the ball and this is who we are and i think some of that was because our head coach was an offensive guy and he's an offensive line guy and that's what he wanted us to be that was the vision he saw for our program and also because our quarterback play especially in 2021 kind of limited our ability to be anything else whereas right now we can have a completely different offensive identity week to week and that makes it a lot more difficult for these defensive coordinators and defensive staffs to prepare for us. Um and I I think it's making the game a lot easier for Knicks. And this week in particular, I think we could really see him probably have his most opportunities throwing the ball past the line of scrimmage that we've seen to this point. Um like Two weeks ago, against Eastern Washington, 51 of his, or sorry, 49 percent of passes were behind the line of scrimmage. Last week, it was only about 32 percent of passes were behind the line of scrimmage. There was obviously a lot more vers, uh, a lot more verticality to the passing game schemed in last week. I think a lot of that was to complement via play action uh, some of our heavier run stuff that we were we were implementing. And so, I I just think that this is an opportunity for Oregon to kind of put the third piece of the triumvirate onto tape for future opponents and and show what we can bring to the table f- through through the air.
0: All right. Well, we will get to our picks a little bit later in this episode for this game and, and others. Any any other final thoughts on on the matchup and uh, against the Cougars?
1: No, I'm really excited to see how our offensive front performs against a group that brings a very different flavor to the like if we were lining up against another team like BYU or or the most of the fronts that are on our schedule, where they they have traditional body types, and it's a lot easier for for me to project how we're going to perform. Whereas when you're playing against a team that does as much movement, stunting, and and um, and blitzing, and kind of bringing bringing non traditional pass rushers into the equation as as Washington State does, and I mean this as a compliment to Coach Dickert um it it makes you kind of question a little bit and it makes you a little more curious as to how the offensive line's going to perform i think that they've been probably the strongest unit on the team to this point in the season uh, even against Georgia they executed at a really high level this is going to be more of a, a of a mental test i think for them to and i i think that what gives me peace of mind is the fact that we have Alex Forsyth calling protections and kind of captaining that offensive line from the middle and this, first of all, is not the first time he's played against a Dicker defense, but it's also like his 900th start because he's been at Oregon forever. Um, and so he's seen a lot of things, and I think he's going to be able to get us into good situations and uh, having a veteran quarterback will help. The The last thing that I want to see and I think is kind of the big bugaboo for Bo Nix is his splits at home and on the road at Auburn were massive. Like he was a 6-1 to one, touchdown interception ratio guy at home at auburn he was a 1 to 3 touchdown interception ratio guy on the road um and i think the, the kind of the last piece of him leaving auburn bow in the past and and kind of solidifying that he's a different player in this Oregon offense with all of this supporting talent and this great offensive line is the ability to take it on the road and execute at a high level. And so I'm really excited for the opportunity for him to do that and 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 for us to get a sample size of him on the road in conference play.
0: All right. Well said. We will uh, circle back on this one as we get to our Pac-12 picks, but we're going to start at the national level first. I got I got twelve games for us to pick this week, QB. I got six national games, and then of course the six conference games. Uh, most conferences, of course, uh, have moved, you know, full time into into conference games this week. So there's there's a few uh, ranked versus ranked matchups matchups from around the country, and then uh, and a couple uh, a couple other interesting ones. So I'm going to start with uh, your Wisconsin Badgers going on the road to Ohio State. They're an eighteen and a half point underdog in this one.
1: Yeah, and I think was I think Ohio State's going to cover that. It's it's a problem I was concerned about this Wisconsin team uh, as a fan when they decided that they needed to take four defensive back transfers this offseason. Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, he's also the safeties coach. He's really involved in the defensive backs. Um traditionally they've been a super high blitz rate defense, like blitz rates in the high 30s and low 40%. This year through three games, they're blitzing 15% of the time which to me tells me he doesn't trust those guys on the outside to, to cover and to hold up. And if he doesn't trust them against Washington State and against Western Michigan and some of the other teams that they've played this year, I don't think he's going to be really comfortable to feel like he can go out and bring pressure against Ohio State and a quarterback like Stroud with the, with the talent that they have on the outside. So, uh, I've got Ohio State covering. I don't think that the Wisconsin offense has nearly enough explosiveness to keep up. I think this game gets out of hand early in the third third quarter.
0: Yeah, I see this one the same way. I, even, if, even if the Wisconsin defense was able to do some things, and I'm not saying they will be, I, their offense just I don't think is going to be able to match enough scores. So I think OS, OSU covers 18 and a half, you know, maybe pretty easily. So I got the same there. Uh, all right, next one. Kansas state. Uh, this is a team I think you were picking as a sleeper in the big 12 earlier in the year. So it it stuck out to me in this week's matchup. They're traveling to Norman to play the Sooners, Oklahoma, 12 and a half point home, uh, favorite, of course, after their shellacking of Nebraska last week that sent Scott Frost, um, you know, off to the, or I guess that was the week before. So solidified his firing, I suppose, and sent his defensive coordinator off.
1: Yeah. Sent, uh, poor coach chins off into the sunset i'm taking oklahoma here I, i like kansas state i don't like their inability to throw the ball at all and i think that kind of we had talked about this with washington state the ability to import an offense like bringing in jeff levy as your offensive coordinator was a great start bringing in dylan gabriel who played in that system at ucf for two and a half years just really made that turnaround much quicker for a team that has a pretty substantial talent advantage in this game. And I've been really uh, pleased with what Coach Vendables has been able to do on the defensive side of the ball. The one-dimensionalness of this Kansas State offense, I think they have 300 total passing yards on the season so far after losing to Tulane a week ago. I think that Oklahoma wins this game going away and is really able to sit on a one-dimensional defense or offense.
0: Yeah, I, I think we're going to agree on this one again. I, I, I I'm not surprised to see Oklahoma's defense playing, um, you know, playing better ball this year. Obviously, after hiring um, after hiring uh, Venables, uh, their offense, you know, really has been probably more productive than I would have expected um, so far the, in the Venables regime. So I, I just yeah, I think they're going to win, you know, by by the two score by the two touchdowns or or more as well. So I got Oklahoma as well. Um, another game. This one in Texas, as the Texas Longhorns go on the road to Texas Tech. Um, Texas is a six and a half point road favorite in this one. Uh, obviously, they had the the breakout performance and a close loss to Alabama a couple of weeks ago, but they kind of followed that up with you know a bit of a I don't want to say clunker, but they they were certainly in a dogfight with with Texas San Antonio Roadrunners there, you know, for most of the first half before pulling away late. So. You know, do you like Texas to go on the road and and take care of business or do you think the Red Raiders keep this one close?
1: Um, I do like Texas to win this game. I would feel a lot better if I knew that Quinn Ewers was going to be back this week. Um, he's back at practice. I don't know if he's going to be able to to perform and, or or to play. Um, he he actually sprained, so like a lot of people when you see that hit you think they have either broke their calv- clavicle. Or they sprain their AC joint, which is the exterior joint on your clavicle where your shoulder and clavicle meet. Um, he actually somehow sprained the joint on the inside, like near your sternum, where your clavicle uh, kind of meets in the center. I'm not a doctor. I probably sound like an idiot to any of you guys that, that work in the medical field. I was so appreciating I the
0: anatomy lessons there, QB. That's great, so. <laughs>
1: yeah, the SC joint sprain. So um, I, if he were to play this week, I would take them to cover no problem. Hudson Cardin has not been nearly as consistent with the offense, and he's been actually nursing a lower leg injury himself, which has kind of limited his mobility. Because of that, I'm going to take Texas Tech to cover. I most likely am going to regret this specifically if Ewers plays. Um, I wouldn't bet this game in real life, though, because as good as I think this Texas Tech offense can be in spurts, I don't trust it on it from a consistency standpoint
0: yeah i I'll go the opposite way i'll take uh I'll take texas to to win uh more than six and a half and and take take the road victory uh while covering so we'll we'll mix it up on that one we gotta have some room to disagree right so we can well, someone can win our bet in the end
1: yeah how about this how about you go you go first on the next couple and then that way yeah, just yeah I've been I've been kind of
0: taking a little bit of advantage there and, and deciding where I want to, like, diverge from you or not. So, uh, yeah, we need to split it up, make it a little more fair. Yeah, you all can't right, just copy me forever. You took Texas Tech, and I got Texas. All right, so I got three three ranked-on-ranks game, ranked-versus-ranked uh, ranked games now. So we'll start in the ACC. Uh, Clemson going on the road to Wake. Clemson's a seven-point uh, seven road favorite in this one against Wake Forest. Um this one's interesting to me cuz I don't think Wake Forest is is like nothing you know necessarily a, a fantastic football team. They're they're ranked 21st. They are 3 and 0. Um but you know, I, I I I don't know what Clemson is. I know their defense is good. That's what I know about Clemson. Um their offense is is a bit Jekyll and Heidi so far. They're not they haven't been tr- tremendous, but they've they've certainly seemed better than last year at times. So this is a tough one for me. Uh, I'll I'll say I'm going to go with Clemson. I'm going to go with Clemson on the road to win by more than seven.
1: Yeah, I am too. I think that their defense alone against this Wake Forest team is worth seven points. Like, Wake Forest is not going to run the football in Clemson. That's the first thing, right? And so a one-dimensional team against the Clemson defense with this much talent and especially the ability to rush the passer that they have, uh, Wake Forest does that long mesh, and that long mesh is can work against a lot of types of defenses. You know what it doesn't work well against? Penetration. And Clemson is really, really good at penetrating on the interior of that defensive line. Guys like Brian Bressy. I don't have a ton of faith in DJU and the offense. I, if they had a better offense, I, I think this line would be substantially—or a better quarterback— I think this line would be substantially bigger. They've had some offensive line issues, but this Wake Forest defense isn't talented enough to take advantage. So, yeah, I've got I've got Clemson uh, winning this game and covering.
0: All right, let's move over now to the SEC for our last two games here before we get to the Pac-12. First off, we'll go with uh, number ten Arkansas traveling to College Station to take on number twenty three Texas A&M off of their. 17 to nine victory over miami in the mortal lock of the week last week of take the under uh so our uh, texas a&m is a two-point home favorite so basically a pick em game with the razorbacks how do you see this one
1: you get to go first doug i'm not uh, going. i gotta
0: go first again i just went first last one
1: i went first on the first three so that's how it's gonna go
0: all right fair enough um I'm going to take Arkansas on this one. I, I, I think they're, I just think they're a better football team right now. Uh, I, and obviously it's at Texas A&M and that's a tough place to play. And the, and the Aggie defense is is certainly going to be a, a formidable force in this one, but I just think Arkansas is a better football team. I think they win outright, which means they're probably going to win by more than two. So that's
1: where I'm going with that one. All right. I'm glad we're going to disagree here. I'm going to take Texas A&M and here is why. So I saw this on Twitter the other day. Um, from at Nick Wenger 5. Out of 131 FBS football teams, Arkansas is the 131st worst pass defense. Combined with all 123 FCS teams, Arkansas is 251 out of 254. Combined with D2 teams, Arkansas is 412 out of 416. Add D3 teams, they're 649 out of 656. This Arkansas secondary stinks. And. A&M is getting back both Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall, two five, really talented five-star receivers. I think that game two for uh, for Max Johnson as the starting quarterback uh, will be enough will be enough of a, of a, an advantage um, in the passing game to where A&M is going to make enough plays uh, to win this game. So I'm going to take I'm going to take the talent of that that Texas A&M front again uh, to to sit on the run a little bit. Enforce kj jefferson to beat him with their arm and i'm going to take the peer incompetence Of what is probably the worst secondary in college football Um against what might be one of the worst passing games as well It's like what happens when a movable object meets a stoppable force we're going to find out on saturday in dallas
0: Well, there you go. All right. So one more one more game here. We'll stay in the sec for this one Uh, so it's number 20 florida going to number 11 tennessee um, you know, game days at this one. I think Josh Pate's going to this one, so it's definitely going to be you know the most uh, talked about game this weekend, leading up to to that. And uh, Tennessee is a ten and a half point home favorite in that one, and I'm going to take Tennessee. I, I just think their offense is really explosive. Uh, I think they're going to put up a ton of points, and I don't know that I trust. I don't know that I trust Anthony Richardson to be able and that offensive Florida to be able to keep pace enough to keep this one close. I think Tennessee is back. Um, you know, it's Texas is back. Tennessee is back. USC is back. I do think Tennessee is back and I I think they're going to win this one going away.
1: So Doug, do you know how many, how many throwing touchdowns Anthony Richardson has this year? Uh, zero. Yes. So you have a one dimensional quarterback going on the road for the first time this season. Into Tennessee against a really explosive offense, if this get if Tennessee's able to get out in front early, this game could get ugly. Richardson being forced to throw the ball from the pocket and bring a team back could turn into a lot of turnovers. I'm going to take Tennessee to cover i would if i I might try to find an alt line and bet this game at like Tennessee minus twenty. Wow, I don't know you could do that, oh yeah, all right. Let's move into the Pac-12, and
0: now we'll alternate. So we'll, we'll, we'll you get the first one, then we'll trade off back and forth. So um, let's start with the Ducks. So we talked a lot about that game already. So Oregon is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road, in Pullman, who you got in this one?
1: If it wasn't clear from our preview, uh, kind of like last week, just looking at the matchups in this game, Oregon is obviously better across the board from a talent standpoint. If we can continue to execute and improve on our execution at the rate that we've set the last two weeks, um, I, I think Oregon should win this game and cover. I think we're more than I think we're multiple scores better than Washington State, specifically given how poorly Ward is, has played throwing the ball. Um, eventually, this is going to catch up to me. These predictions of multiple score wins because Oregon's not going to play their best game. I don't think Oregon has to play their best game to beat Washington state by two scores. So I'm taking the ducks to cover minus six and a half.
0: Yeah. If our listeners remember when we picked, uh, when we picked pac 12 outcomes in our preview pod at the beginning of the season, I had Oregon penciled in for a loss in this game. Uh, But after watching, you know, three weeks of play now, I'm definitely flipping flipping that one. I don't I don't think Oregon's going to lose this game and I don't think they're going to lose. They're going to win it by less than six and a half either. So I I, again with you, I think this is a a 14 to 17 point victory in favor of Oregon or maybe a 12 to 15 point victory. Somewhere in that range. Double digits. So I'm going to take Oregon as well. Um, All right, moving on. There are there are three double digit point spreads in the PAC 12 games this week. So half of the PAC 12 matchups are double digit spreads. And this is the biggest of all of them. Uh, UCLA on the road in Boulder is a 21 and a half point favorite against our, uh, our power ranked number 12 team, Colorado.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I might look for another alt line on this one because there is no amount of points that I am not taking anybody to cover against Colorado this offense sucks this offense horrible i think the defense as the season goes on is going to start quitting earlier and earlier in games just given the fact that they have no chance to win because the offense is completely incapable of manufacturing points so despite the fact that i don't think this ucla defense is great i do think chip kelly is going to have them ready to go on the road um in the, in the pac-12 opener give me ucla minus the points
0: yeah, I'm with you on that one. UCLA will will win and cover, and that's all I have to say about that one. Uh, so I'm up for double-digit vict- uh, double-digit spread number two. Uh, Utah, fifteen and a half point favorite on the road at uh, the 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 now harmless Arizona State Sun Devils, and I will also take Utah to win by to win and cover uh, I, Arizona State. I, they're a mess. They're going to continue to be a mess. Utah is on a mission. I'm not sure what that's going to look like as they start actually playing better teams, but they're going to win this one easily, so
1: I'll go with the Utes. Do you know who the uh, interim coach is for Arizona State? Um, I heard his name on the radio
0: today, but it does I don't recall what it is.
1: Sean Aguano. Have you ever heard of Sean Aguano?
0: I, I have not. I, I'm afraid to say.
1: He was hired by Herm Edwards in January of 2019 as the running backs coach after an impressive stint as a head coach at Chandler High School in Chandler, Arizona. Um, wow. I
0: think... So So in three years, this guy's gone from a high school coach to the head coach of a Power 5 football team.
1: Yes. Hey, good for him. He Spent 18 years at Chandler, last eight being the team's head coach, where he posted an 88-19 record. 88-19 is a pretty good record. I'm still taking Utah, but... I will say that there has been a lot of cases in which teams with an interim coach in the first game actually fire off a good performance. And like despite the fact that they lost last week to a bad Eastern Michigan team um, and, and Herm Edwards got fired, they actually did play pretty decently on the road at Oklahoma State. I think that this team is capable of still putting together some respectable performances. Um, it would not surprise me at all. You know what? Actually, screw it. Give me ASU.
0: All right. You got it. ASU plus 15 and a half. You're on it. And and by the way, I don't think the Nebraska Cornhuskers got the memo about playing good for your interim head coach in the first game.
1: Well, they just don't have good players. And so that's a that's a <laughs> it's a different situation. I still think there's a little bit of talent remaining on this team. I think that Emery Jones like this is his last shot, right? Like he's this is his audition for the next level. Hopefully get a shot on a practice squad. Um, he's going to be ready to go. He's going to keep playing hard. I think that them getting it out of the way and firing Herm might keep this team engaged for a couple more weeks here. Uh, I don't know how explosive this Utah offense is. I could see that the Arizona Arizona State defense's competence keeping this a little bit lower scoring of a game, uh, specifically with the lack of explosiveness at receiver for Utah. So um, I'm just really counting on them to not lose by more than two touchdowns. All
0: right, so you're going with the Fighting Iguanos. Uh, that moves us on to uh, Stanford traveling up to Seattle to play the Huskies. Uh, the Huskies are a thirteen and a half point favorite at home in this
1: one. What say you? I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring game. Um, I don't trust Stanford at all, though, to stop Washington. So I'm going to take Washington reluctantly. Uh, I could see this. I think Washington wins this game regardless. But I could see this being like a 10-point win as opposed to 14. Um, but yeah, I'll take Washington to cover here.
0: All right. And I'm banking on that, what you just said. So I'm going to take Stanford. I think Washington wins the game. I think Stanford is maybe going to keep it just close enough to get under that line and, and escape with a, a, a 10 point loss instead of a, a 14 point loss. So we'll, we'll go, we'll go opposite there on that one as well. Excellent. Uh, and what I think is a sneaky, interesting game this week, uh, Arizona travels to Berkeley to take on the bears. And Cal is a three-point home favorite in this one. Um, to me, I got Arizona winning those, this one outright uh, on the road at Cal. I, I think, like you said, Cal's allergic to offense. Uh, yes, their defense has played really well to this point. But I think Arizona's getting some confidence. They've got a couple wins under their belt. They had a really, you know, they really they really had to step up in the fourth quarter of that game and, and make a defensive stop and then drive the field and get the go-ahead score. And I think that... that momentum and that kind of fortitude is really gonna bolster them. So I think Arizona's gonna go on the road. I think they're gonna get to out the victory outright. So I'll go with uh I'll go with uh the Wildcats.
1: Arizona's first conference away win in three years. Give it to me. I'm taking I'm taking Arizona to win this game. Uh and, and hit the over before we're even out of the month of September. Remember the over over under on this team was two and a half. They're two and one right now. If they win this game, that's an over Um, Give give me Arizona on the road. I just think that their offense will travel. I think the fact that their quarterback has been there before has played against Cal. um, I I just don't think that Cal is going to be able to score enough points to beat Arizona.
0: All right. That brings us to the USC Trojans traveling up to the shrunken confines of Corvallis uh, to play at Reser against the Beavers. USC is a a six-and-a-half-point road favorite in this one. You think they're going to sell this one out, Doug? They have sold out all of their games this year, so yes.
1: Oh, sweet. That's, that's great. Good for them. 20,
0: 28,000, I think,
1: is their capacity this year. 18, 18 something like that. I think it's 18. Yeah. Um, I'm taking USC. I, <laughs> I think Oregon State's pretty overrated right now. Um, having watched them against both Fresno State and Boise, the Boise game, the score is completely not indicative of the way that that game was actually played. A ton of five turnovers by Boise State for that score to be the what it was. Um, I don't see a way that Oregon State is able to cons- consistently manufacture stops, and I do think that USC is going to be able to kind of stumble into a few stops against Oregon State. So uh, if you're going to give me a one-score line, I'm taking USC to cover.
0: Yeah, uh, I, think, I think this is pretty easy money, to be honest. I, I think USC wins this one uh fairly handily if, if this so.
1: was a if this was like a full stadium like like a completed stadium and a and a little bit better of an environment you never know like some crazy stuff specifically in usc Oregon state games has happened in reser over the years um but i just i don't think like if they had like matt moore or uh sean Mannion or like one of those quarterbacks i would feel a lot better about this but i i just still don't trust their quarterback play at all
0: I am with you on that one. And I think that uh, pretty much brings us to the end of this episode,
1: QB. That's awesome. Yeah, it was uh, – I'm really excited for this week. I don't know about you. I, I think that this is a unique challenge where I think we'll know – Like we, we I think we know a lot about this team after last weekend. But in a lot of ways, this is kind of the polar opposite team and style of BYU. Um, and I think if our ability to show – especially defensively to be able to match up with this um with this type of team and and stop their offense will kind of give us a really good idea of where we're at going forward through the rest of the schedule
0: yeah you bet i'm i'm traveling up to pullman on friday night i'm gonna get up saturday morning have some eggs have some breakfast and watch the ducks go
1: whoop ass excellent so I wanted to thank everybody for all the support. We really appreciate you guys. All of the five-star reviews have uh, been rolling in on Apple and Spotify. We really appreciate that um, as, as we kind of work into growing this podcast. Uh, same schedule as usual. We will be uh, releasing our recap on Monday morning for your commute into work, and then we'll be releasing our preview for the following week on Thursday morning uh, ahead of the game. We're working on scheduling a special um a special little episode here that we'll be dropping at random, uh, hopefully here in the next few days with some interesting content. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Once again, thank you guys for tuning into the QB11 show. I am Andrew. This is Doug, and we appreciate you guys.